We're just coming back from a very, uh, very good youth and family retreat. Uh, Caleb did a really great job putting it together. We had lots of great kids there, and so if they're all walking around in various states of zombiehood, that's that's why they're kind of worn out. Uh, but I think they all had a good time, so that's that's good. Last week, of course, we celebrated the resurrection, uh, and this week. So we continue in Matthew chapter 28, the story, the gospel story that Matthew is telling, just abruptly ends. Just like that. Uh, Chapter 28 opens with the resurrection of Jesus. It closes with the Great Commission, and there's really not that much in between. And it's significant that Matthew lays it out that way, because remember that Matthew's objective in all of this gospel has been from the very outset to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. He is the messianic king and the kingdom is coming. He he is the one that we've been waiting for. And with the resurrection, for Matthew, the, the, the case is closed. This is the ultimate argument. There's, there's nothing left to be said. Jesus is, in fact, the king. And so, without much fanfare, Jesus' response at the end of Matthew 28 to his own resurrection goes like this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Boom. Mic drop. Story ends. This is where Matthew leaves it. But we have to pay very close, special attention to these words, because Everything in the Gospel of Matthew is leading up to this command, what what we call uh, the Great Commission. And so what we're going to do this morning, this is the only verse we're looking at this morning. It's that important. We're just going to spend our whole time focused on this. this. This is what Jesus said, and we're going we're gonna to break it down into its elemental pieces and, and try to understand what's going on here, and why it is as important as it is. And what Jesus said, first of all, is that in case you missed it, that, what you just witnessed, was my inauguration. You've been waiting for a king. What you you just saw, even though you didn't understand what was going on, even though you were sad, even though you were heartbroken, What you just saw happen, that was my inauguration. Understand that up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he's been saying that the good news is, the gospel is, that the kingdom is near. Now, that good news is transformed to the kingdom has begun. Why? Well, because when his enemies are dressing him in a scarlet robe and putting a crown of thorns on his head, They're doing it to mock him, but ultimately the joke is on them because this really was his inauguration as king by virtue of the fact that he is 
the perfect sacrifice and that he is victorious over sin and death, he fulfills all the prophecies. He, he is the king. He is the messianic king that we've been waiting for. Uh, but not all of the prophecies have been fulfilled yet. And that's why we need to understand something um, that's a little bit different from the way that we think about things and the way that uh, Eastern, Eastern culture would think about things. What Jesus is essentially saying is that the kingdom is coming and now is. Now that's a phrase that shows up in Scripture multiple times. Something is, is coming and now is. A time is coming and now is. It's a common sort of literary device in Scripture. It's going to become very, very important as we get into Revelation because it's, it's, it's sort of a key to understanding uh, apocalyptic literature in the Bible. Western culture sort of imagines everything fitting into nice, neat, chronological categories. So this thing ends and this thing begins and everything is sort of separated out into its pieces. And a lot of our misunderstandings of Scripture, and particularly our misunderstandings it's about Revelation, as, as we'll see as we get through that, um, come from this thinking that everything is divided up into these neat chronological categories. Eastern culture is much more open to the idea that a thing is coming and is also currently present. In other words, it exists now, but it is still also in formation. And so when Jesus talks about his kingdom and he talks about becoming the king, saying, well, I have fulfilled these prophecies. I have become the king that you've been waiting for. But the perfection of all of that is still in, is, it's still happening. It's still coming. This is part of the reason that we struggle with the idea of a present kingdom in our world today because we, we think of the present kingdom as being finished. Jesus is presenting the present kingdom as having begun. Jesus says sometimes during his ministry things like, you know, people who are standing here will still be living when the sun comes into his glory. They'll still be around when the kingdom begins. And, and those passages are confusing for a lot of people because we think that means like the second coming of Jesus. And nobody's alive for 2,000 years. But that's not what he's talking about. He says the, the, when the kingdom begins, some, some of you will be around to see it. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're talking about the kingdom of God breaking into the world. Not necessarily overtaking it, that is to come. But the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. And that's what Jesus does when he comes in human flesh. He breaks into the world with the message of God. And so the kingdom is now presently begun. And it is also still coming. It is coming in its future perfection. Now Jesus says, all the authority over heaven and earth, are mine. That's kind of the ultimate expression of coming and now is. Because think about the context of what he's saying. All the authority is mine. Rome still stands. 
Now, these people who are waiting for the Messiah to come and overthrow Rome, Rome still stands and will stand for centuries more. All the empires of the world that existed in Jesus' day, they still exist when he says that, and yet he says, uh, I am now the one who has the ultimate authority. And we understand, because we've been told in other passages, that one day that ultimate authority will finally be recognized by everyone. That every knee will bow, every mouth will confess that Jesus is Lord. But that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened here in the story. So Jesus is saying, I have this authority. A lot of people aren't going to know about it yet. But the authority is mine. My reign has begun. Thy will be done. When we pray, thy will be done. That is the definition of where Christ's kingdom exists in the world. Wherever his will is being done, that's where the kingdom is. That's where it lives. That's where it exists. That's where it is becoming real, even in the context of this world. Then Jesus says, since the kingdom has begun, and since I am the king, the commission part of this passage begins with the word, therefore. It refers back to everything he said immediately before that. So in light of what I've just said, that the, the kingdom has come and all this authority has been given to me, now think about this, the good news up until this time has been that the kingdom is near. Now the good news is transformed into the kingdom is here. What do we do with that? When it was the kingdom is near, that was what they were commanded to go out and tell everybody. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Now the kingdom is here. What are we going to do with that? What's the job now? And Jesus says, look, since the kingdom has begun, and since I'm the king and therefore have the authority to issue the command, here's your marching orders. Here's the right response to the kingdom being realized in this moment. Go fill my kingdom with kingdom people. Make disciples, Jesus says, people who will choose Jesus, people who will engage a deliberate process to become more like Jesus, people who will live in a community of people who have chosen to be more like Jesus. And that's really what it's about, becoming more like Jesus and also becoming equipped in such a way that we can go and help facilitate, we can help make other people who commit themselves to being more like Jesus. See, through Jesus, the kingdom invades the world. And through us, Jesus spreads the kingdom through the world. We are to be communities of kingdom under the authority of Jesus Christ and expanding exponentially because each one of us has the capacity to go therefore, and make more disciples. And finally, he says, be obedient and teach obedience. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. We want to become like Jesus. We want to teach others to become like Jesus. Now, 
in the Sunday school class that we're just finishing up, I have spent an extraordinary amount of time exploring all the complexity of what it means to be a disciple. So if you missed all of that, don't worry. Because right here, it's boiled down to its very simplest form. This is it. If you don't get anything else about discipleship, here it is. Be obedient to Jesus. Teach obedience to Jesus. Be like him. Teach others to be like him. When that happens, when you and I commit ourselves to being like Jesus and we're teaching other people to be like Jesus, kingdom occurs. The kingdom of Christ happens in this space and it is glorious. It is beautiful. When we are not distracted by the world, by our self-interest, by religion and tradition, and we just genuinely motivated by our love for Jesus and simple obedience to Jesus, glorious kingdom things happen. The kingdom breaks out. It is seen, it is felt, and it is known by everyone who encounters it. And that's pretty fantastic. But maybe almost as important as what Jesus says is what Jesus doesn't say. And so we kind of have to address this because, because there seems to be some confusion sometimes. Here are some of the things that Jesus didn't say in the Great Commission. Jesus didn't say, just sit tight until I get back. See, obedience is one of the defining qualities of disciples. But if as disciples of Jesus, we're not doing anything to fulfill the Great Commission, we're not doing anything to help other people become more like Jesus, we're not being obedient. And if we're not being obedient, I'm not even sure we can call ourselves disciples. He doesn't say just get your own salvation taken care of and then wait around until the world comes to an end or your life ends and I'll just, you know, call you up. We cannot be disciples without at least attempting to make disciples. And, and, and can we just be honest about this? Modern, our modern Western Christian faith is kind of filled with the vocabulary of receiving. It's all, all about the grace and forgiveness and salvation that I'm going to receive from Jesus. But Jesus himself, Matthew 10, Jesus himself says, whatever you freely receive from me, freely give. It is a reciprocal relationship. He doesn't necessarily want us to always give it back to him. He wants us to pass it along to someone else. Jesus didn't say, your opinions are my missional priorities. 
again, can, can we just be honest? Can we be honest as human beings and just acknowledge it is really difficult for us to sort of separate out our opinions from, from the mission? We start talking about what it, is, what it is that God's asking us to do, what it is that Jesus has directed us to do, and, and we all have opinions about that. And we have a hard time sort of separating out like where my opinions end and where Jesus' commission begins. But here's the thing. Opinions are really cheap. I have dozens of them. I'll share them with you for free. Happy to give them to you. They don't, they don't really mean that much. But missional priorities of the kingdom are precious. They are precious, they are valuable, they're important. And so the question isn't really, is this what I think should happen or what I think we should do? The question is, will it serve the mission of Jesus Christ? Will it hinder the mission of Jesus Christ? And, and as trite as we've sometimes made it, the big question is, what would Jesus do? If Jesus confronted the community that we confront, if he confronted the opportunities that we confront, if he was, if he was met with these situations, what would he do? Because that's much more about his mission than my personal opinion. Sometimes we're, we're sort of operating under the delusion that satisfying people's opinions, that making people happy and comfortable in, in the environment of our churches is, in fact, the mission of the church. But folks, if, if any one of us, if any one of us has an opinion that becomes more important than fulfilling the mission of Jesus, then functionally and practically, Jesus is not the king here. We have to put the king before us. Jesus didn't say, support missions elsewhere, but ignore your neighbors. For some time now, for really most of my life, and probably uh, for you younger people, uh, all of your life, Missions has meant almost exclusively Africa and Asia, sometimes South America. That's, that, that's how we, we've just kind of been conditioned to think of missions that way. And there is a sense in which sometimes we felt like we could do church however we wanted and whatever was comfortable for us, and as long as we were supporting missionaries somewhere else, in the world, as long as missionaries were doing the work of the Great Commission somewhere and we're sending them a few bucks, that we are then participating in the Great Commission and we've done what we need to be doing. And what we've missed in the meantime is that Africa and Asia are now sending missionaries to the U.S. to do the work in our own backyard that the American church has so often neglected as it comforted itself with the idea that it's fulfilling the Great Commission somewhere else. 
Now, I, th my, my intent here is not to be critical of, of supporting foreign missions. We should be supporting foreign missions. That's a really worthwhile thing to do. My point is that it's not a substitute for making disciples as we go. For making disciples here in our, in our community. That is the mission. And it's really kind of easy for us to get distracted creating for ourselves the kind of church experience that we want and that we think other people will want. And this is true of traditional churches. It's true of the mega churches. It's, it's kind, of, kind of across the board where we get so focused on creating kind of this, this experience that fires our engines and that we think will fire other people's engines. Sometimes that experience doesn't have all that much to do with building the kingdom or making new disciples. It's really kind of about figuring out a way to fill up our seats and, and fill out our budgets so that we can continue to exist even though we're not practicing so much the Great Commission. We just can't do that here. We cannot do that here. So what is it that we are saying? I want to clarify this. What is it that we are saying? Now, I, I don't often reserve part of my sermon to talk about what the leadership of this congregation is about and what, what, what we believe and what we're saying because I really want to keep our focus on Scripture. But I want you to understand that where the leadership of this congregation is coming from is also coming from from scripture. It's coming from our desire to be faithful. What is it that we are saying? Change is difficult. Engaging mission is difficult. It takes a lot more work. It takes a lot more work to be focused outside of our doors and be focused on our community. It takes a lot more effort. And, and guess what? Sometimes we won't, we won't enjoy it. And when people aren't enjoying things about their church experience, sometimes they start talking about what they don't enjoy about their church experience. And that's kind of how gossip gets started. And uh, so here, here's all I want to say about that. Don't start gossip. Don't repeat gossip. And don't take gossip seriously. And we'll all be a lot healthier. We'll just all do a whole lot better. But I want you to know what we are about. I want you to know what we are saying. And that's a little bit challenging because we get together with a ministry team or we get together with a leadership team. We don't agree 100%. We, we, we don't, we're not on the same page all the time. We don't agree over every detail. Sometimes we frustrate each other. I guarantee I frustrate those other guys. I promise you. Sometimes we do. But there are some things... For the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the unity of this fellowship, there's some things that we do agree on and things that I think we all have to agree on in order for this to work, in order for us to be an outpost of kingdom in the community of St. James. And the number one thing that we are saying is that Jesus and his mission come first. It comes before me. It comes before you. It comes before our traditions, our expectations, our assumptions. 
And I think we've been pretty consistent with this message. Some of, in fact, we've been so consistent with this message, some people are probably sick of hearing about it. But this is the core of what it means to be the church. The church is a community that is under the authority of Jesus Christ and is compelled to serve his mission. If it isn't, it's not the church anymore. That's, that's, I, I, and I'm this, I don't say that to be critical. I don't say that to be ugly. That's just the way that it is. If we're not submissive to Christ and we're not serving his mission, we have really sort of failed to be the church. It really doesn't matter what the sign says. That is how important this is. Now, we tend to take, all of us, all of us tend to take whatever experiences we've had in church that we liked, and we sort of make those the church. We take those experiences, we take those assumptions, and we sort of elevate those things up, And we equate that with what it means to be the church. And the effect that this has is it kind of makes us extremely intolerant of anything different. We kind of become rigid and and inflexible in the way that we operate. And so the church becomes uh, a particular building or a particular program or a particular tradition or honestly sometimes a particular piece of furniture or a style of music. The church becomes all of these things in in our minds, in the way that we think about it. And so that anything that challenges those things feels like a threat. It feels like somehow we're being unfaithful to Jesus uh, because because of these these uh, often insignificant elements. And in preserving these elements, we become convinced at some level that we're actually preserving the faith for future generations. Well, can I just say, there are, in fact, some things about which we as believers need to be rigid and uncompromising. We need to be uncompromising about Jesus Christ. We cannot change his character, his message. We need to be uncompromising about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be uncompromising about the truth of God's word. That's where we should be rigid. But when it comes to mission, see, mission is different. Mission is different because mission really compels us to be creative and to be flexible. Because mission, by definition, is not completed when we do what we know. Mission is completed when we do what works. And so in our pursuit of mission, we have a moral obligation to pursue what works. And granted, sometimes we will get it wrong. Sometimes we will try things and they they don't work. And we'll have to back away from that plan. And we'll have to come up with a new plan. We'll have to seek God's will out again. But the mission is flexible and it is creative And it compels us in that direction because it needs to work. It needs to be effective. It needs to fulfill the Great Commission. Our mission is to go into the world 
and make people more like Jesus. It requires that we look for what God is doing, that we look for the challenges and the opportunities that he's put in front of us, and we ask ourselves, how is it in this situation that we can impact the world, and how far are we willing to go to do it? What we are saying, what we, what we all agree about, is our town needs Jesus. I know. I'm just as surprised as you are. We don't have to look on the other side of the world to find people who need Jesus. They're right here. There are people in our town today who need redemption, who, who need salvation, who need hope, who need purpose, who need a moral compass, who need transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring about. Those, those people are all here in our community right now. And the world is offering them false versions of each of these things, trying to entrap them by offering them things that, that look like what they should be searching for. And, and the truth is that the real things, the real things of God, the real things of Jesus Christ, the real things of the gospel are getting harder to find in the culture. And we're going to have to be a lot more deliberate about putting them in front of people, helping them find their way. Now, I know that there's a certain fatalism sometimes in, in the American church because the churches have been through so much and so many churches, door, so many churches are shrinking or their doors are closing. It, it, it's, it's been a difficult environment and it just seems to be getting more difficult in a lot of ways. And there's a certain fatalism that says, you know, the era of church is kind of over. We're not going to make the kind of progress that we did once. And we just kind of have to buckle down and get through this. And we look at all the signs and we say, Jesus surely is coming back. <laughs> surely this is it. This, the, the, this is what it means. We think people don't listen. People don't care about Jesus. But that's not really true, is it? We have a lot of people around us, a lot of lost people who are looking for spirituality, who are looking for truth, who are looking for hope, and, and are struggling to find it. And we need kingdom people who will live out their faith in tangible ways so that the people who are searching see something that provides them with an answer. Oh, I would love to think, I would love to think that they could just hear it from me. I, I would love to think that preaching was that effective. That I, I could just put the message out there, they'd hear it, and, they, and they'd find Jesus through it. But that's not usually how that happens, is it? We find Jesus most of the time through people who love Jesus and loved us enough to introduce us. have 
disciples. Lately, every week, disciples showing up in this place looking for genuine, meaningful kingdom work to do. And what they need from us is an effective mission that actually makes new disciples of Jesus Christ. And so here's what we're doing. We are recommitting ourselves to outreach in this community. We are refurbishing our baptistry. Yay! Because it is long overdue and because we need it. We are retooling our existing ministries, our men's and women's ministries, our greeter ministries, so many other things. We are building new ministries to equip disciples, to get them grounded in the Word, to give them instruction in practical ministries so that they can be more effective disciples of Jesus Christ. We are expanding our student ministries to go deeper with the students that we've got and to reach a broader spectrum of students. We're going to introduce a college ministry, college and young professionals ministry this year. Among other things, overall, I think we're trying to foster a commitment to mission and to service at home and around the world. Because here is ultimately what we are saying. We seek to be unapologetically obedient to the mission. I, I know as the church adapts to these great challenges that we face in the culture, it means a lot of changes, and change is uncomfortable. The mission is difficult. The work is sometimes exhausting. And, and honestly... Well, I've spent much of my professional life as an advocate for change. Uh, I'm reaching an age where not changing would feel pretty comfortable. But it's just not an option. It's not an option for us to not to adapt to the challenges at hand. We have to seek out what God is doing. We have to prioritize the voices among us that champion the mission of Jesus Christ. We've got to answer the call. We have to go into the world. We have to make disciples. We have to be obedient and teach obedience to Jesus. And so we will use our people and our resources as wisely as we can possibly muster to build the kingdom. We will thoughtfully and intentionally embrace opportunities as God reveals them to us. And we will share the hope of the gospel. And by God's grace, we will bring the lost to faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs>